Hi, everyone. Welcome to Parenting Portal. My name is Joanna Port. I am a mom of four to Zoe, Levi, Ruby, and Ray, and I am the director at Crestwood Hills Preschool in Los Angeles. This podcast is a guided discussion between me and an expert in the field of parenting. Today's episode is called Worry Proof Parenting with Dr. Cara Natterson. Almost everything that I answer about kids is going to be true for adults. Asparagus are nature's bug repellent. Well, the word organic actually means something, as opposed to the word natural, which means nothing. Dr. Natterson is a pediatrician, consultant, and New York Times bestselling author of The Care and Keeping of You, which, by the way, is an amazing book for preteens, teenagers that I used with my children. She is a graduate of Harvard and Johns Hopkins Medical School. She worked as a pediatrician here in Santa Monica and founded Worry Proof Consulting. She meets with parents privately covering medical, behavioral, and parenting issues. Dr. Natterson travels the country speaking to both kids and parents about taking ownership of their health and wellness. Whether in the office or on the stage speaking, she has a unique ability to make cutting-edge research understandable, even entertaining. Dr. Natterson's greatest feat to date is parenting her two teenagers with her husband, Paul. What are your kids' names again? Talia. She turns 16 in just a couple weeks. And Rye is 14. Oh. Yeah. So we're going to get right into it. Although I will say, Dr. Natterson and I have known each other since we were little. Very kids. little. <laughs> From the way back. So it's fun. <laughs> we go way back. Yes. And we're good friends. And I, this is like so fun for me to have you here. I've heard you speak many times, and I'm always get so much <laughs> information. So I'm going to delve right into some of the hot topics that I've listen to over the past years. Right. <laughs> the first one that I know parents are often worried about, anxious about, and have questions about, the very first one um, is, what is the deal with sunscreens and SPF? <laughs> okay, so let's just start this podcast with the statement that almost everything that I answer about kids is going to be true for adults, okay? Yes. So this is a very important fact because sometimes we think we're doing all this stuff that's special for our kids. And frankly, if we just took care of ourselves the same way, we'd be doing really well. So sunscreen in general is rated by the sun protection factor, SPF. And the ones you're used to seeing are either 30 or 50, Okay, that's yeah. what's on most labels. As recently as a couple of years ago, you would see 100 or 110. It was just a measure of mm. how long some skin could be in UV light after applying the sunscreen mm. before it burned. Okay, and this was sort of the, the poor man's way of figuring out what this number should be. But the thing is that there really isn't any SPF that works any better than 50. And so there were a bunch of lawsuits and there was a bunch of wrangling and now you don't ever see above 50 on a label. So you're looking for 50s when you put sunscreen on your kids. 30 is fine. You have to reapply it a little bit more. It's the number of minutes you should be able to be exposed to sun without burn. Now I'm going to give you a gigantic asterisk about sunscreen, which is number one, some work better than others. And number two, if you sweat a lot or go in water, you essentially wash off the sunscreen and you really do need to reapply sooner. So we all go through our sunscreen bottles really slowly. And the truth is that if we're out at the beach for a day, we should be going through that sunscreen much, much faster. We should be reapplying. Most bottles say every two hours, but if you're in and out of the water, it should be more often than that. 
The ones that work better, the ones that I like the best and that are the healthiest and the safest, those are the ones that either have zinc or titanium in them. And there's a big push now for mineral-based sunscreens because those get absorbed less into the skin. So those are the ingredients you're looking for. The ingredients to stay away from are oxybenzone and avobenzone. And Mm. those are in most sunscreens that are sold at the drugstore. So it's worth bringing you're reading glasses and taking an extra five minutes because they're really teeny tiny on that <laughs> label, are. right? They, are. they hide those ingredients, but look for, if it ends in benzone, probably not the best ingredient to be putting oh. onto your body or into your body. So look for zinc and titanium dioxide-based sunscreens and mineral sunscreens. And how do you feel about the spray ones that are like, you know, yeah. spray? I really don't like sprays. Uh-huh. Um, I don't like them because it's very hard to apply them evenly yeah. all over the skin if you're just spraying, right? When we have lotion on our hands, it's very annoying to have lotion, but we know we're getting the whole leg or the whole arm. When you spray from a can, you really have no idea where you're getting it. Yeah. The other reason I hate them is you breathe in all that aerosolized stuff and There are a lot of studies that look at exactly how big the particles are in the Mm. sunscreen and how deep those particles are going into your lungs. Mm. And some depths are worse than others. But let me just say, for the record, anything we spray onto our bodies, we're inhaling into our lungs. Let's just avoid doing that. So it's why I don't love hairspray. You can put hairspray on your hands, rub it on your hands, and then put it in your hair. I don't like spray on sunscreen. I don't like any of it. Just keep it out of your lungs, you know? Right. It goes into the lungs. Yeah. Ah, That's so interesting. And then kids with asthma, right? Yeah. It's just not worth it for them. I have a kid who refuses to put sunscreen on. What can I say to that kid? Yeah. Well, what's the best words to... It's really hard because... You know, you've been to talks that I've given. I talk a lot about the brain and how kids don't make consequential choices when they're young. Um, They can, but they often don't. And so even if you say you're going to get burned, that consequence doesn't really mean very much to them in the moment, which is very annoying when they come home completely fried and you are frustrated, worried, right? It's getting a sunburn, especially a blistering sunburn is a risk for skin cancer later in life. So you're sitting there trying to give them this consequence and they don't really hear it. I think sunscreen is simply non-negotiable right. in the summer. I think that's the way to do it. It's, you know, you're giving them the gift of letting them go to the beach or driving them to whatever that pool party is. They're giving you the gift of putting on sunscreen. Yeah. Um, and hats, please. And sunglasses, hats. which, I mean, these are huge. Each one is an obstacle. Sunglasses, too. If you can. Yeah. 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 I Fight always, your battles. Right. I always find also engaging the kid in putting it on with you. Yes. And saying, we're going to do this, but we're going to do it. I can do it alone yeah. or, or together. Well, and it depends how old the yeah. kid is. But for a young child, mm-hmm. that's a great way to do it. For an mm-hmm. older kid, mm-hmm. how about I'll put on my sunscreen, you put on your sunscreen. Mm-hmm. So you do it together differently. Mm-hmm. Right. Because that's the other thing is they see us slathering them, but they never see us slathering ourselves. What I teach my my maybe nine, 10, 11 year old patients and students in a classroom, I say, OK, what does a 95 year old woman's face look like? Oh. And they say uh, it's wrinkly. And I say, yeah, that's right. What does her butt look like? And they all crack up and I go, no, I'm serious. What does her butt look like? And usually the word I get is saggy, okay? But I say, are there any wrinkles? And at least a few in the class have seen an older woman's bottom and said, no, there are no wrinkles. And I go, yeah, that's because there's been no sun exposure. 
And that's a winning. Thought about that, and I'm going to use that. It's a winning strategy, so you can always say. Yes. One day you're going to thank me for making you put that sunscreen on because your face is going to look like a 95-year-old's butt. And <laughs> doesn't exactly this. translate, but you know, there you go. I'm totally stealing that. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> okay, so that leads me to the next one. What about bug spray? Yeah. And bugs. So <laughs> I'm a fan of bug spray. I'm a fan of mm. DEET when people go to mosquito-ridden areas. This is controversial yeah. among non-doctors, it's really not controversial among doctors. DEET uh. has been studied like crazy. It Listen, it's a horrible name, right? And yeah. you hear the word and you just think of a skull and crossbones, right? It right. just seems horrible. Yeah. DEET makes mosquitoes not able to sense you. They kind of fly towards you and they, they lose their ability to sniff the blood and they just kind of move on. It's an incredibly effective repellent. And it does not cause long-term serious health risks. The health risks of the viruses that we can get from mosquitoes are far, far greater than the health risks of DEET. And I wrote a book a long time ago called Worry Proof, which is where the name of my business came from. And there's a whole chapter on DEET because Mm -hmm. people are so sure DEET is bad for you. And the data is very, very, very weak. They've studied DEET in the military for years and years and years because soldiers are required to wear DEET when they're in mosquito-prone areas. And here's this young, healthy population. It's a wonderful population to study. And when you look at the data, the long-term repercussions of DEET are minuscule. Mm. The long-term repercussions of West Nile virus and other mosquito-borne illnesses are very, very, very serious. So use DEET. This one usually comes in a spray. I know I just said you inhale all these sprays, but but sometimes you have to do it. There are DEET wipes. I like those. They're great. And you can buy them pretty much anywhere. I buy mine just, you know, local store or Amazon. They're creams and creams. Kids don't love the no. texture of the cream. You can try it, what, whatever. There are DEET alternatives. Lemon of oil eucalyptus is the big natural alternative to DEET. It, oh. It's probably the one that works best, but it doesn't work as well as DEET. Long sleeves, long pants, that really helps. But oh, mosquitoes yeah. can bite through. Um, but that. still, the more you cover, the better. It's very hard if you live you know, in a hot, humid area. Yeah. And then you end up with kids who are overheating, getting heat stroke. So... Don't be afraid of the DEET. One thing I really caution people, do not use a combination sunscreen bug repellent. Oh, they have those? They do. They do. And the thing is, you only need your DEET once a day. If it's been 12 hours, you put it on again. Like if you're going out at dawn and again at dusk, repeat your DEET. But usually, because that's when the mosquitoes and the bugs Uh really love to come out. But usually people are only out kind of one of those. The other one, usually people are just hanging out at home. But you need your sunscreen often. And if you put your sunscreen on repeatedly because you're being really good about your sunscreen, you're going to get too much DEET. And you don't want to do Oh, that. so you don't want to combine yeah. them. I find maybe with sprays to spray away in your hand. Yep. Yep. And then put exactly. it on your child. Exactly. Same as like, hairspray, right? right? You can spray right, it in your right, hand right. and put it in your hair. Same with right. DEET on the body. Yeah. And in a desperate moment when your friend brings the spray sunscreen and you forgot exactly. yours, you're like, ugh, and exactly. go do it in the corner. That's exactly right. Yeah. That's exa- <laughs> I like that strategy. I think I must have natural DEET in my body because <laughs> mosquitoes hate me. Okay. I'm one do of those eat, lucky people. Do you eat asparagus? Yeah, but not a lot. Okay. Um, little secret. 
Asparagus oh. are nature's bug repellent. So most people have an enzyme that when they eat asparagus, it makes their pee smell, yeah. right? Okay. Yeah. Well, it also makes their blood taste pretty bad to mosquitoes. So I always say to parents, um, it's a double whammy to try to get those veggies in. Sometimes get the asparagus in when you're going on a camping trip or whatever it is. Asparagus, asparagus. smoothies. Uh huh. There you go. <laughs> I'm trying no. to picture that. <laughs> I'm one of those that would go on a hike as a kid, as a little kid, yeah. and everybody would be get beat bitten except me. Isn't that funny? <laughs> yeah. It's just who I am. Well, everyone else likes you, so if mosquitoes yeah. don't like you, it's okay. Okay. <laughs> Okay, what about vitamins? Oh, what are we doing vitamins. with vitamins? <laughs> um, okay, vitamins. This is not news, but it's always helpful for parents to hear. Our bodies were designed to absorb vitamins and minerals through food. Okay. Okay, so full stop. That is how we are supposed to get our vitamins and minerals. What that means is that if you have a child who's a good balanced eater, and it doesn't mean they have to eat everything under the sun, but if they are good enough and they eat some green vegetables and some protein and some yellow starches and some, you know, you've got a nice rainbow, they don't need a vitamin. They're getting a nice, well-balanced, colorful diet. If you have a child who's a truly picky eater, and who's really restricting the vitamins and minerals that are coming in, you may want to start doing a little bit of research to understand what they're lacking so you can supplement that. Okay? But a multivitamin, when I first started out in pediatrics, which was a really long time ago, I used to think, ah, what's the harm, right? Right. But like what's the harm? Like it's just no biggie. gummy or Right, pill. exactly. Yeah. But there are a few things that have changed my thinking about that. Mm-hmm. The first is that We've definitely seen some over-the-counter, not so much vitamins, but a lot of um, homeopathics and teething drops and things like that that have been recalled for having random infectious particles in them or pieces of metal in them. So anything we give our kids, eh, what's the harm? There, there's actually a possible harm. And I think less is more. So I always now file that away. If we don't need to give it, don't give it. But what really swayed me about vitamins were the studies that showed that most of the vitamins that most people take, kids and adults, go straight through them. They are literally not only not absorbed, but there are studies that show that adults who swallow pills, the pills go straight through them. You can find the pills coming out the other end. Our bodies are really not designed to absorb these nutrients this way. So if you've got a really high quality, high end vitamin and you have a need for it, your body's going to find a way to absorb it. But short of that, no, they don't need it. Balanced diet. Balanced diet. That's the battle you want to fight, right? That's the education you want to give your kid. Why you're feeding your body, not, oh, you're not feeding your body? Here, take this guy. This pill. Right, right. That leads me to my next question. Every parenting group I do practically, I mean, every few months I get this question. Oh, my kid will only eat pasta, rice, and no vegetables. No. Yeah. What do I do? It's so frustrating. Okay, so there's so many layers to this, as you know. I know. Okay, you run a preschool, and my guess is that one of the things you may see at school, which might surprise parents, is that at school, the kids behave differently than at yeah. home. So there's one big component of this is just the personalities and the parenting dynamic, right? Mm-hmm. Kids figure out really young that 
holding out on food is a really great way to get attention from their parents. And um, it's not the kind of attention they want. They would rather have positive attention, but if they're not going to get any attention, they'll take that negative attention and the begging and the pleading, and it's kind of a fun game for some kids. So that dynamic and that that power dynamic Mm -hmm. needs to shift. And for those parents, I say, let's pretend your child is 16 and they want the car keys. Are you just going to hand them the car keys? They say, no way. I say, right. So now they're four and they just want the pasta. (laughs) You know, how are you going to start to have conversations where it's not a fight, it's not a, you know, a major negotiation, but how are you going to get to where you need to go? Yeah. Which is this, this answer is not okay for me as a parent. So that brings us to the second group of kids who really can't do it. I've definitely met kids who really, they, they just can't. So there's some kids who can, and they're just yeah. manipulating their parents. I say manipulating, not in a negative way. That's yeah. their job. Uh, and they do it really well. Okay. Yeah. But then there's a group of kids who, it's not manipulation. They really have intolerance. They have intolerance for certain tastes. They have intolerance mm-hmm. for certain textures. Um, for whatever reason, maybe it's their physiology. And um, what's going on inside their body, Mm -hmm. either inside their mouth, their taste buds, maybe it's inside their digestive tract, maybe they were reflexers as babies, and the process of eating is not pleasurable to them. Who knows, right? There is a list of 100 things it could be for those kids. But for those kids, it's hard because when the parents approach it that way and they try to sort of get the kids to an end point that's going to make everyone happy, and the kids, they're trying, but they they can't do it. Right. Those kids need a little bit of help. They need help from a pediatrician or a nutritionist. And sometimes it's a matter of just figuring out what tastes and textures they can tolerate. Taste buds turn over every seven years, oh. which is why around first or second grade, you suddenly see kids starting to eat foods they never ate before. Oh, and parents think, it's a miracle. It's not a miracle. It's new taste buds, but it's great, right? So go with it and praise it. But you know, I know kids who, I've had kids at my house who are so polite and so sweet, and literally all they will eat is a plain tortilla. Yeah. They just can't. And yeah. they want to. My heart goes out mm. to them, and those are families that need help. I've had those kids have been diagnosed with all sorts of reasons that once addressed, and some of them are behavioral, but frankly, most of them are medical. Yeah. You know, a food allergy that went undiagnosed, or irritable or inflammatory bowel disease, something... Once diagnosed, the kids get to enjoy food. It's incredible. So right. d- that for that kid, tell the parent, go talk to your pediatrician. Start figuring it out, right? Yeah. Now, parents will often then say, how do I know if I have that kid? If you have a child who's growing and thriving, generally speaking, they don't have a medical reason why they can't eat. If they're growing and thriving yeah. and your doctor says, yeah. I mean, it's really hard to gain weight and gain height steadily year after year if you're malnourishing yourself, right? It's really hard. So those kids are generally kids who don't have something medical, and they're actually kind of getting a more balanced diet than you think. But Mm. this one's hard. This one's hard. The last piece of advice I have is I really believe in family meals, Mm -hmm. okay? And family meals involve humans, but not phones, 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Um, it's a good goal, right? Yeah. Um, and not everyone is there right now, but it's a goal. Um, so it doesn't have to be an hour-long sit-down thing. Yeah. But everyone who's around should aim to eat together. And what that allows is you can all share the same main dishes, yeah. and you're yeah. not customizing a menu for each individual child. Yeah. If there are three things being served... And a child is a picky eater. And those are the three things being served. Always have one thing you know your child's going to eat. A home run. Yeah. Yeah. Something, right? I always think, like, you just have to have a home run in there. That's it. But then you have the influence of everyone around them. And over time, it makes a huge difference. It It really, really does. It does. It really does. And I don't know if this is a true statement, but I find that kids really self like regulate like you when you really look at it okay i have a kid who only eats pasta here and and carbs or whatever but then i when i really delve into it or i tell parents let's talk about what the last three days look like it turns out they ate broccoli one night yes they They tried the chicken soup that you gave them they love peas they just like them frozen whatever it is but they did have pasta a lot Uh during that whole three days or whatever and that's what the parents are seeing yeah that's right so you know i'm always like curious about what exactly do you mean by only pasta for three days there's another yeah. great trick that parents can use, which is to give kids ownership over what they're eating. So yeah, yeah. There, there are a couple things you can do. You can plant vegetables and grow them in a garden. It doesn't have to be a huge garden. Yeah. It can be a window box. Okay. Yeah. When kids see the fruits of their labor and then they can eat those vegetables, they love it. You can take your kids to the yeah. supermarket and help them pick out the food that you're going to cook that week. That is a huge piece of this. And it shouldn't be a fight. It should be an exciting, fun thing. right? And, every, and cooking with you. And then cooking. And cooking is a great early math yeah. builder, right? Yeah. We know that all the basic math skills are reinforced by cooking and measurement and all this stuff. So that one's a home run. That is a home run. Yeah. And you're so right about the garden. We we grew kale a couple weeks ago. Yesterday, we at school. It's amazing. We literally picked the kale. I had five kids eating raw kale yeah. sitting next to me. And the mother who was there was like, I can't believe this is happening. And I'm like, I can't believe it either. <laughs> it's, they <laughs> it love so it. True. Yeah, it's so they true. Yeah. They love it. Such a good it. point. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. But it really helps. Yeah. It really, really helps. Yeah. Pick yeah. a fast growing vegetable though. Don't pick like, it's, don't plant yeah, something that needs yeah. a year. Okay. Yeah, exactly. That's a really good advice too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But nutrition is a big, big topic and people yeah. get very anxious about it. And it feels really good when your kid, kid eats well. So parents get well, put a lot of pressure on it. And I often say to parents, imagine this, you've got three meals a day and your partner is standing over you three times a day and going like this. Oh, did, did you like it? I made you that. Try that. Have five bites of that. You should try three times a day. So lay off. I mean, 100%, right? And then the snack time, I'm not even including. Oh, yeah. So that's two more times a day. That's right. Like, wouldn't you be irritated at somebody over you all the time? Beyond. And yet, as parents, what did we learn when yeah. our babies were first born? We learned that it, success in parenting was getting them to eat and getting them to sleep. That's what we where we put all of our stress and our angst, right? So we have to let go of that, right? By the time they can walk and talk, that's not what it's all about. Granted, when they're newborns, that's what it's all about. Right, right. But not as they get older. And you... You can't have negativeness around food all the time, no. or you'll something is bound to, you well, know. Like I mean, it's a big issue. It is, but making it as positive as possible, yeah, is also a goal. That's right. That's right. I mean, food. If you look at cultures mm. like the Italian 
food culture. And then you look mm-hmm. at Italian health and wellness. It's really incredible. Italians eat, there's lots of studies on this, and anyone who's interested, look them up. There are a couple of wonderful books written about this. The Italians eat a diet that should not be consistent with health and wellness. And yet, it's high carb, right? Yeah. And yet, the way that they eat, they love their meals, they enjoy their meals, it's family time, it's bonding, so there's all this positivity around it, and the way they make their carbs is different, okay? They hand pulverize their flour, and they do all sorts of other things that we don't do. That combination of things, plus their genetic pool... The Italians have a much lower rate of heart disease and a much lower average cholesterol level than we would anticipate they should have. That's so interesting. It's fascinating. And it's largely genetic, we know, but it's also largely driven by the way that they approach food, right? The way they love to make it. They love the process of creating it. Mm -hmm. They love the process of eating it. And there's a lot to be said for that, the socialization around food. It's amazing. Yeah, that is so interesting. And what about organic foods? (laughs) Should I buy all organic? (laughs) We get that question all the time. Yeah, I do too. (laughs) Um, Okay. And I'm always like, ask your doctor. Exactly. (laughs) I always say, ask your preschool director. Uh, So... Okay, sure, you can, right? No one can. First of all, it's not available everywhere in every form. Second of all, it's ridiculously expensive. Yeah, it is. How important it is, is it? Well, the word organic actually means something, mm. as opposed to the word natural, which means nothing. So mm. if you look at a label and mm. it says, you know, all natural, well, this chair that I'm sitting in right now could have a label that says all natural. The floor I'm walking on could be all natural, mm-hmm. okay? The steering wheel that I am going to hold when I drive home could mm-hmm. say all natural. Natural means nothing, okay? Mm-hmm. Organic actually has a definition and you have to be able to meet certain criteria in order to put it on the label. So if you're making a choice between organic and natural, always choose organic, that's yeah. for sure, okay. okay? But what do you need to eat organically versus what can you choose not to? There are lots of people who have lots of very strong feelings about this. One of the greatest food advocates I've ever heard speak is Mm. a woman named Robin O'Brien. Robin was in finance. She had four children. And she talks in her TED Talk about, and I've heard her speak about it in person as well. She talks about how she was just busy, busy, busy and, you know, feeding her kids before they went to school Mm -hmm. so she could just get them out the door because she had to get to work. And one day, her child, one of her four children, had an anaphylactic reaction. He was allergic, she did not know, to one of the gazillion processed foods that she had thrown out on the table. Mm -hmm. And um, it changed her whole life. Mm. And she pivoted and she left finance and she moved into food advocacy. And she had this line in the talk that I heard her give that has stuck with me for years. And her line was, well, we're either going to pay for it at the grocery store or we're going to pay for it at the hospital. Mm -hmm. So let's think about paying for it at the grocery store. And I think that's an important line. So when we take shortcuts in food and when we buy cheap, highly processed, bad for us foods, there are consequences, health consequences down Mm -hmm. the line. And those health consequences are expensive. You can't just look at the $2 you know, fresh produce and the $1 bar and go, I'm going to save on the $1 bar because you're going to pay it down the road. Okay. But that being said, you don't have to buy everything organic. Organic is not magical. It doesn't mean it's good for you. An organic cookie is still a cookie. Okay. So I like people to buy organic oils and butters okay. because those fats hold on to pesticides 
better than any food in the grocery store. And we know that organic is largely protected from pesticide spray. It's not 100%, right? The next door farm may have it or what, what have you. But mm. I like that low pesticide load in your high fat foods because less is going into your body. Okay. I think having organic vegetables and fruits that don't have a peel or a skin that you remove mm. is a smart play. So a strawberry is it, to me, it's more important your strawberries are organic than your bananas. Now, right. I've said that before, and I've gotten hate mail, okay? Oh, oh. Because it makes sense to me, right? Though. It's logical. Yeah. I'm not saying don't buy organic bananas. I'm just right. saying if you're choosing, if you're choosing. <laughs> choose the naked fruit that right. might be sprayed. Right? right, because that's what you're trying to prevent. Like lettuce is a good so one. So lettuce, and there's a, the Environmental Working Group is wonderful. They have mm. a, a website called ewg.org, mm. and they are a group that really looks very closely at what you should and shouldn't have in your bathroom, in your kitchen. They're very, very deep dive mm. thorough, and they have what's called the Clean 15, I think is now, mm. and the Dirty Dozen, and they go through these two lists of foods that you really, really need to focus on when you're in the grocery store thinking about buying organic. So take a look at that website because it's wonderful. It's yeah, really wonderful. E-W-E- E-W-G. Okay. The other one is meats, um, mm. meats and fish. So and I guess I would lump dairy in there as sort of the, in the protein world, although mm-hmm. dairy's high fat. So I really feel strongly about go organic on the high fat things if you can. Uh, and fat's not bad, by the way. Fat's really good for you. But that's a whole different podcast. Yeah. But meats, I think we we do not raise poultry and other meat producing animals very healthfully in this country. So if you are going to spend on meats and fish, you do want to start talking to the butcher or the person behind the counter in the grocery store and start understanding the difference between, you know, now everything is has all these rankings. You might have an organic and a natural and it might be level one and it might be level mm-hmm. four and there are different farms that have different rating systems. It's very confusing. But that is one where the muscle, which is essentially what we're eating, it does hold on to a lot of the things that we don't want to be putting into our body. So Start a conversation with the mm-hmm. guy who's working behind the counter at your local store and begin to understand how these animals were raised if you're an animal meat eater. I oh. think it's important. What is the deal with nuts and allergies? Yeah. It's such a... It's nuts. It's nuts. <laughs> it's nuts. When we were growing up, it was like a front page story yes. if someone had anaphylaxis. And now, I mean, how many kids in your school have... Not allergy, right? We no. always have one yeah. out of 90 kids, for yeah. sure. Yeah. And maybe two. And that's low. I would yeah, say that is low. That's pretty low. But the thinking now is you don't do nuts or you do uh-huh. early on. Okay. The thinking changes every six months. And it changes because there's a lot of research being done. So it's not... I don't want people to be under the impression that Mm. no one knows anything, and that's why the thinking is changing. It's that we keep learning more, and that's why the thinking is changing. So on the one hand, what we are now recognizing is that the earlier we expose a child to an antigen, an antigen is just the protein or the part of the food Mm -hmm. that our immune system might respond to. Mm -hmm. The Mm -hmm. sooner we expose a child the less likely the child is to develop an allergy because if we expose children very, very young, then their immune system will not think that that antigen is foreign. If we wait, 
the first year of life before exposing, and then we expose, there's a chance that the immune system goes, I've never seen this before. I've got to go get it and has an allergic type reaction. Right. The other thing we know is that for kids who are genetically predisposed to allergy, even if you feed them young, they could be allergic. So what's up with those kids and why, even if you start, you know, they're, if you look at at Israeli kids, they eat peanuts starting at an extraordinarily young age. They eat these very soft uh, pops that just melt in their mouth that are filled with peanut. peanut. And the rate of peanut allergy in Israel is extraordinarily low. And so that's where a lot of this data comes from. For most kids, exposure early is good. And there are a lot of companies in the U.S. that are now working really hard to try to figure this out and try to expose kids young. But there's still going to be kids who are allergic. There's now a big body of research being done on the microbiome. The microbiome is all of the bacteria that live inside our intestine. So when babies are born, everything is sterile in the womb. There's, if there's a bacteria in the womb, that's kind of a problem. So presumably, there's no bacterial exposure in the womb, okay? You come out, and whammo, what happens day one of life? You start getting exposed to things. Right. The immune system, when you're born, is very low volume. It just hasn't fully formed yet. It doesn't know what it's doing. And it's super slowly, young. it's super yeah. young. And it slowly gets its legs, Right there's some pretty important things that happen as the immune system is developing. And one of those things is that a baby's exposed to a lot of germs, largely through either breastfeeding, because Mm -hmm. they get all the germs off mom's skin, or through, I'm sticking my pinky out at you like I'm giving it to you as a pacifier, because um, finger sucking is a big self-soothing tool. Pacifier sucking exposes kids to germs. And then as they start getting more mobile, I mean, it's disgusting, right? They lick the floor. They lick the... They put everything in their mouth. And that's that's helping build their microbiome. There's a body of research that is evolving now that suggests if young babies are put on antibiotics Mm. and the antibiotics wipe out the bacteria in their intestines and shift the microbiome, those are the kids who are more likely to become allergic because the good bacteria get wiped out. And as the new bacteria are trying to grow, the whole immune system is sort of thrown off. It doesn't know what's foreign, what's not foreign. And so if you introduce a new food, the immune system may confuse that food, that antigen for an invader. And it's interesting, and it's going to create some problems if this is true, because there are also some bacteria that are extraordinarily dangerous for young babies. So you can't not treat the babies to protect them from the bacteria, because sometimes these bacteria, they're lethal. Yeah. But the trade-off now, it looks like it's going to end up being a higher risk for allergy. Mm-hmm. So what do we do in order to offset that? And I think people are trying to figure that out. Right now. Huh. Thank you so much for You're coming so in. You're so welcome. If you want more information or get her books or look at anything, go to your website. Yeah. What is your website? It's worryproofmd.com. So worryproof okay. like doctor, MD, yeah. dot com. Okay. Thank you, Dr. Natterson. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, you Karina. Oh, that was so fun. Thanks for joining us. If you have questions you'd like answered on the podcast, email me at joanna at parentingportal.com. 
If you want to learn more about our experts or to schedule a consult with me or a speaking engagement, or you just have a parenting question you need answered, go to parentingportal.com. And remember, parenting is so, so hard. Give yourself a break. You're doing a great job. And do something for yourself today. Thank you.